You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. I'm Daniel Janine, a producer at Eater. Amanda, it's been a while since we talked about the state of reopening, um, how restaurants are doing, and since we kind of caught up and talked about how the food world is, uh, is, is handling everything and what's going on with awards, and that's what we're doing this week. What do you think? I'm so psyched. I'm so psyched to be back, and it's fall great time to just relaunch with a chat show (laughs) yeah there's nothing like fall podcast that's what everyone says (laughs) (laughs) that's what everyone says so uh up first on the show uh chicago has been one of the first major cities to announce something of a winter plan for restaurants so of course all the other major cities are looking to chicago to see how that is uh received um and so we brought on Ashok Selvam, the editor of Eater Chicago, to talk to us about it. Let's get into it. Here is Ashok. We have Eater Chicago editor Ashok Selvam, who has been on the show many a time, but we have him back today to talk about outdoor dining. Ashok, you live, I think, in one of the coldest cities where we have an eater site. Uh, What is the general plan for outdoor dining this winter? The general plan is to make sure you have warm boots and uh, a thick pair of socks uh, because we don't know (laughs) what's going to happen. The city has given us, uh, the the city has given restaurants some general guidelines around outdoor dining uh, about like uh, great tips, like to make sure you're patio heaters are not don't burn your uh, structure down and to make sure you have building permits and don't go off on your own and assemble some odd igloo shape that just doesn't (laughs) uh, is not fire code compliant so uh, there's there's a lot of anxiety Uh, the the I've been tracking the price of propane and where to find uh, patio heaters because there's a been a run on them uh, restaurants are, have not gotten their orders from patio uh, from home improvement stores, and they are they are really uh, nervous about what's going to happen and if we're going to have a, a frigid winter with polar vortices and mm. other mal- maladies that'll make it zany. And, and are there any a, plans? A wonderful Midwest winter. <laughs> and, and are there any plans for restaurants to be uh, to do indoor dining at all? It's still a twenty five percent. I mean, I just. Uh, uh, I just got a letter from a yeah. you know a hospitality consultant with uh, signatures from 15 bars uh, asking uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot to increase it to 50. I think uh, 50% is what New York could have in November 1st. They want similar uh, legislation in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, there hasn't been any movement on that. So uh, 
they want more indoor dining. Uh, Indiana just uh, uh, went full uh, full Indiana on their on their plan, and that's gonna oh, yeah. uh, that's gonna make things nervous because Chicago's so close to the border. And what does that mean? Full Indiana. Full Indiana is, uh, as it sounds, Indiana is, uh, you know, going to have 100% uh, capacity <laughs> for nightclubs and restaurants and bars. So it's uh, fully open. And uh, that's going to make a lot of uh, a lot of folks from the border are going to cross over, go to Indiana and come back mm-hmm. and bring beer or whatever else back to Chicago. Uh, Business-wise, folks are going to say that it's an uneven playing ground, that they can't compete with Indiana, and uh, folks are very angry about that. And in terms of outdoor dining, can you talk about the competition or the call for submissions that the city put out for ideas? That was the, the city's winter design challenge, and it was basically a crowdsourcing. Uh, it felt like Oh, we don't know what to do. So let's uh, let's uh, get the community involved, so families can have a little project to to keep the kids uh, busy. Uh, so there was it ran the gamut. <laughs> it ran the gamut. You saw some really cute uh, family submissions, and you saw some uh, like uh, yurt city. You know those those structures that are kind of like teepees. Let's put them in the middle of the street and make sure they're well heated. Uh, we had some ridiculous things like let's use. Uh, the uh, public transportation CTA trains and cars for outdoor dining and repurpose those those cars, which I don't know why you would ever want to do. Uh, it's a little, uh, you know, you have to make sure those are properly disinfectant, and I am not very enthusiastic <laughs> mm-hmm. about that prospect. So uh, it, some ideas, I'm not sure if there were a lot of good ones, but they're going to give uh, three finalists uh, $5,000 each uh, when they uh, announce them in October. The main rule is mm-hmm. that so long as your structure is 50% open to the outside air, you can build whatever kind of yurt or dome or tent that you want. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. If you want to expand your patio, you can, but you got to leave, uh, leave a, a wall open. Uh, the other alternative is we, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, contractors being talked to about uh, installing garage doors and making bigger windows here. But as far as the design, you know, they want to make sure that there's proper Hmm. ventilation and I'm not sure that the restaurants are going to have the money to do that. They're already just breaking even right now at best. Uh, where is the funding that's going to happen to make sure that they can do this? I, I don't know. You mentioned the patio heaters and the wooden structures that so many restaurateurs have built. And I know that's going to be a big issue in New York because you can't actually have some of these heaters on the patios that people have been building all summer. What do you think the solution is there? Will people just be taking down all the structures that they've built in order to put these potential fire hazards in there? In one case, there's a there's a space called Antique Taco. They have two locations, and they have this big patio, and they're going to take it down and turn their parking lot into a basically a car hop, and you know the, the, they're they're trying to find creative solutions and repurpose. Yes, we are going to see. In short, we are going to see patios come down to make because they just can't withstand winter. I mean, the salt alone. Would it just erode whatever they have up? I've already gotten calls from igloo makers saying, make sure, you know, you call us. We're the professional. You know, you have to spend. You spend what you get. 
and you can't do this, mm-hmm. you know, how, how you know, you just can't hire service staff to volunteer on their off time to, to build this, you know, we know what we're doing. And uh, one restaurant owner is like, yeah, I'm not sure if this is worth it. They charge an arm and a leg and I'm sure they're going to give us a, a great discount because there's going to be so much demand right now. So yeah, it's uh, the, I don't think a normal summer patio structure in Chicago could withstand, uh, you know, our, our harsh winters. Uh, it just doesn't add up. The reason, I mean, obviously Chicago is, is fascinating, but I think another reason this is so interesting is because I feel like Chicago has throughout the way been the first of the major, major restaurant cities to, uh, however good they've been kind of make decisions on what they were going to allow inside and outside. Does it feel like to you that Chicago is, uh, is quicker at least to put something out oh, than the I, other it, major it cities you're seeing? Kind of, it's against my programming to say that the government has been on their toes. It just, I, I, I've seen, <laughs> look at, look at Chicago when it comes to, to go cocktails, how long it took for them to do that. Look at Grubhub and yeah. DoorDash. They were supposed to have uh, laws restricting, uh, you know, surcharges. And they, t- they talked a big game while San Francisco and New York, uh, uh, you know, were kind of the pioneers and nothing was ever done. Uh, I, it, it's, I think they've learned. I think they've learned from uh, how long it took to process patios mm-hmm. during the spring. They know that winter is a, uh, a an extinction level event uh, in the making for restaurants, and they need to do better uh, because yeah. because we 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 have the James Beard Awards. Yeah, it's going to look really bad if they're not on their game and they're protecting not protecting uh, the city's restaurants. Yeah, you talk about the uneven playing field, and I think one of the parts of this that is hard to uh, like fully come to terms with is how unfair some of this is both in the in the micro and the macro like I was in Toronto for a long time and I don't know if it's like this in Chicago but just in terms of your ability as a restaurant to secure patio space if you're on a corner in Toronto you cannot expand outward from what you are already zoned for but if you're not on the corner then you can double or triple your patio space so it's like it just certain elements of this just suck so much for random reasons. And then obviously there are other ones that are stupid legislative reasons, but um, yeah, that's not so much a question. It's just uh, something that I've been grappling with over here. Yeah. A lot of the areas that don't typically have patio spaces, uh, which are away Mm -hmm. from downtown Chicago, they're already in a bad position. And this, this just highlights how much in trouble they are. And, Perhaps you, know, you talk about like uh, the city should have been like is, is showing some sort of uh, progressiveness in, in terms of uh, let's make sure we, we're we're not the last ones doing something. Uh, that kind of race started years ago, and now we're just only seeing what could have been done. I am the infrastructure to protect these restaurants should have been a lot more complete. You know, uh, to go mm-hmm. uh, to go cocktails, patios, all of that. That these are things that can, could have been done years ago. And you're expending all that energy just to reach a certain level where now we can directly address pandemic issues. It's kind of maddening. I, I just think um, the, the, the closer we get to winter, I do feel like, I mean, it's, I, would, I wouldn't say we're in a honeymoon phase of, uh, of outdoor dining at all, but um, yeah, the closer we get to winter, I think the the more clear it becomes that like 
all of the all of the fear that we had going into this with the with with the lockdowns it's like most of it is coming most of what people are worried about is 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 coming out now and like this winter is going to be the 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 mass um i don't know the mass closures the mass restaurant deaths uh do you think that's fair to say i I think that's it's obvious there's there's no arguing and why would you if it's negative 10 degrees outside why are you going to come in and and have like uh, one restaurant owner one chef was saying that he's changing his menu to uh, be more hearty for winter, you know, uh, more braised meats. Why do I want to have a cold plate of braised meat? But I don't yeah. care how, what are you, what are those electricity bills going to look like? What are the propane bills going to look like? And what's, what's going to be the end game? You're going to have people that just to say, I did this. I, I'm, I'm very, skeptical about the the public's appetite for outdoor dining no matter what kind of structures are out there Uh, yeah maybe it's just time to rely on those meal kits and your takeout and make sure you have (laughs) robust selections there i i i just don't see the 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 kind of excitement it's this this all is feels like a dog and pony show with the winter design challenge and it's good to drum up to say hey we are doing something uh without that Without so yeah, without those funds, I don't see a real recovery uh, being made. Uh, I I just I don't know what outdoor dining in during the winter can really uh, accomplish for restaurants. I mean, it was going to be slow anyway. That's why they have Chicago Restaurant Week in February to get some interest, get some uh, folks excited about uh, overpriced specials. But it's a great gimmick. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what what outdoor dining will do. Well, uh, I. I will say that I am willing to, I'm ready and willing to, uh, to do some igloo dining. So uh, I'm excited to see what they, uh, what they come up with and, and, but hopefully all other means of support come through, uh, before that. Thanks Ashok. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Okay. So that was, uh, Ashok Selvam of, uh, Eater Chicago. Amanda, I thought we would go through and talk a little bit about other reopenings, the state of outdoor dining elsewhere. Yeah, Indiana, full, 100%. Yeah. That is pretty crazy. Full bars, full clubs. Here's the thing, though, that will make this different than May. Yeah. In my opinion, is that the coronavirus has spread so thoroughly throughout the country Mm -hmm. that I think the appetite from the consumer perspective to full-on re-enter the world is more diminished, you know? So people will be a little more circumspect, even if restaurants open at 100% capacity. Will they have the business and the demand? I don't know. Like, for example, we've been polling people. We've been polling readers across the country mm-hmm. at a variety of our sites. And it is still a small percentage of people who would be willing to dine out again. So even though places like at 25% capacity, I bet they will all book up because that's a very small Mm -hmm. number of tables. I don't think if we were open, like in New York, if we were open hundred percent capacity, it's not like restaurants would be packed because people are still afraid. I think, uh, I think certain restaurants would be packed. I mean, if it's anything like it was in Toronto, uh, even fancier restaurants that looked like they were at 70, 75% were packed. Also, 
Uh, I don't think that polling our readers is a is a great sample because a I feel like our <laughs> site's approach they're more thoughtful. <laughs> well, I don't know if they're more thoughtful, but they definitely lean one way. Uh, our site's approach I feel like is very much on the side of safety. Let's prevent all unnecessary exposure. And uh, I, I think that that's a certain mindset, which I don't think is shared by uh, everyone in the dining community. And I, I would say it's probably in the minority of people that are going to restaurants uh, in general, especially in, uh, in Indiana. So are you yeah. going to go eat indoors? Am I going to go eat indoors uh, at some point between now and March? Yeah. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. I mean, maybe not like on October 1st, but it's it'll be in my future for sure. I actually I actually like accidentally ate kind of indoors. Like I I, I had it in my head that when I first, you know, when it first happened, I was going to be super amped and it was going to be like, oh, yeah, we're back, baby. But there was this like really lovely little Japanese takeout place in Toronto and their whole restaurant was open and Toronto's indoors was open and I just like kind of sat and ate my thing there and totally forgot about it. (laughs) And then I was just like, Oh, that was it. That was, I mean, that was a few months ago, but I was just like, I was like, Oh, uh, well, guess I've done that. And I was like, uh, well, tonight's bottle service then I guess, um, back to the karaoke bar then back to the karaoke bar. So how do you, I know we talked about outdoor dining with Ashok. How are you feeling about it? Would you eat outside, like wearing a parka, holding a hot potato? I think uh, as a general jump off point, um, obviously it's it's fun to make, to make light of uh, the ridiculous uh, lengths that restaurants are going to go to to make a reasonable experience outside. But I think like, fuck, this is people's entire thing. And if they're trying it, I think it's important to like go for it. And yeah, I think, you know, I'm not going to sit there (laughs) freezing and pretend like I'm warm. I'll be honest, but But you'll sit there freezing to support their creative endeavor, especially places that make adjustments to create something to try to create an experience outdoors. And when they're really thinking about it carefully and adapting menus to like if someone's in a kitchen or a restaurant being like, I wonder how this dish is going to hold up when it's, uh, you know, zero degrees outside. I want to try that. I mean, if like if you care about the ways that people are trying to express themselves like that's freaking I mean, that's cool at best. And and at worst, I don't know. I'm Canadian. I like the cold anyway. I'll survive. I just think if they're doing it, they're doing it for a reason. They want to try it. We should do it. And obviously it's important to simultaneously be there in the parka while really considering how like high and dry these businesses have been left out and focusing on like working and like targeting legislation and calling senators and telling them that these restaurants need more money or else they're going to die. And I think you can do both things. So that's where I'm going to be this winter time. That's where you'll find me on the phone with Chuck Schumer while <laughs> uh, roasting a s'more at a bougie ass Williamsburg restaurant. Okay. Okay. We get- <laughs> yeah, that's a simple question, but okay. One thing I've noticed about this fall that I found kind of amusing mm-hmm. is I have a lot of friends who decamped, mm. you know, like, like what you do to wine when it's old. 
decamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are kind of one of those, but I don't really count you, where all these people left Thank you. the city. Uh, some in March, some at the beginning of the summer, um, people who were freaked out by New York and were too paranoid to be here and went off into seclusion and are now just coming back. And it's so funny because all of them pretty much to a fault are like, oh, you know what? It's not so bad. This is exciting. Let's go. Let's go eat outside somewhere. Yeah. And I'm happy that they're back and that I get to eat outside with them. But part of me is kind of like, screw you. I've been here through all of this. It's been fine for months. And I've been here supporting my neighborhood. Where have you been? Now you're all psyched. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it, I know it's, I know it doesn't make sense and I'm, I should just be happy that they're back, but it's just this kind of like, it does make sense because there was, uh, an attitude that you were getting for almost like an attitude that you were getting for taking advantage of whatever culture was trying to offer you. And now that it's slightly more chill places are People are coming back and and really getting I feel like we're in a small pocket right now, which is like especially just walking around here. Uh, there's like some real magic. There's some real outdoor experiences to be had yeah. that I, I mean, it's beautiful. I hate to say it like this because it sounds like such a cliche, but like hospitality is like bursting at the seams of these restaurants around and, and kind of bars, whatever figuring out a way to, you know, both make it work, but also because like they want to offer an experience. And like, I will say people like you, you know, you, you support it all the way. So that, that, that is kind of more for you than it is for the people who like are, are doing COVID tourism, so to speak. (laughs) It's been cool. That's what I like the people who missed out. Like this is one of the most important and interesting summers I've ever had here Mm -hmm. and the people who are coming back and being like oh it's kind of it's cute it's fun it's like you miss this thing but also I can't resent you for leaving you know what you know what you can do if you're one of those people and thank you for not including me in those because you know we all have our circumstances Mm -hmm. and I'm you know say what you will about me but I I I I would have been riding from from day one (laughs) I think you have a bit of a responsibility to if restaurants are offering these things you know it's fine if you don't want to go inside, but if they're still offering outside and it's not magic, you know, midnight in Paris level environments like it is right now, keep going with it, you know, like put on a freaking sweater, put on, put on a a light jacket, maybe a heavy jacket and keep, and keep supporting if you can, if, especially if you've enjoyed this nice period, like this is a magical window right now. And, uh, if you want those people to, stay in power, not stay in power, but you know, like this isn't the hard part. The hard part (laughs) is stay stay in power. Yeah. Yeah. I also wonder if like the shift away from judging people for dining outside that's happened in New York, like in the summertime, if you were dining outside, people would judge you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe that shift will happen for dining inside as well. I, I hope, I hope so. It will depend on how the cases go as well. So at least where we are, things have been pretty steady and if they remain steady then I think people will become more comfortable going out more so fingers crossed that we can keep it that way yeah well uh Amanda we're gonna take a quick break and uh when we come back we're gonna talk some James Beards 
some new beverages. Lots. It's, it's basically the back half of the show seems to me like a beverage show, but we'll see what how it shakes out when we get there. Okay, Amanda, uh, we're back. Um, you know, we've been off-ish. We haven't really, you know, done the thing in a bit, but um, there's been a lot of controversy over the James Beard Awards. And, you know, we've gone back and forth a little bit. Like, do we even, you know, do we talk about food media? But uh, I think that the James Beard controversy has just gotten so big and so dumb that we would be doing our listeners a disservice not to at least (laughs) trace the timeline. Just a a surprising number of wrong turns is what I would say. For those who don't know, the James Beards is like the Oscars of the food world. Uh, They do awards for restaurants. And then, of course, because this is the most navel-gazing industry on the planet, they also give awards to people for food media, you know, videos. I Mm -hmm. I want one. Never gotten one. It's fine. Would have been the ultimate Tinder photo. It's fine. But um, it... You know, in the wake of all the unrest and everything that's happened this summer, I'll do what the part of the story that I can, and then you do the heavy right. lifting. I'll I'll uh, jump I'll jump in if you. So yeah, in okay. in the wake of everything that's gone on, uh, pandemic and uh, the protests, the unrest, uh, it, it feels certainly like there's more pressure than ever, and you know, for good reason for food for for awards in the in the food media world and you know for for the spotlight to to go on you know non-white chefs and about six weeks ago now five weeks ago the james beard awards uh again the biggest awards basically it seems like got their list of winners didn't have any black people on the list so they were just like yeah we're not we're canceling the awards. Well, it, that came out later, right? Like they said they were canceling the awards and then it came out that their list of winners was all white. Sure. Yeah. I would back it up. Uh, first they said, yeah, we're canceling the awards because of the pandemic. This is the wrong time to put on a gala. Let's just not. Uh, but then there was all this, you know, chatter behind the scenes, which Pete Wells has done a great job of reporting on um, in multiple articles over the summer. Uh, where that wasn't exactly the real story. There were a couple other parallel stories happening. Like, sure, pandemic times, not maybe the best time to do this. Maybe. Um, or but maybe every other thing has done people. an e-gala. So, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, right. So then there was this issue that came up that someone on staff at the foundation saw a list of the awards, which allegedly should never happen because it's handled by a third party, kind of like the Oscars. Like the organizers mm-hmm. don't know who's going to win the Oscars. Only the accounting firm that they hire knows. So someone in the foundation got the list and brought it to the attention of people inside and on the panel and said, you know what? <laughs> uh, you should all know that, you know, the win- list of winners is all white. So that's one factor. Another factor during this time of civil unrest, it has led to a lot of upheavals in all kinds of workplaces, civil unrest, but also the coronavirus. So you're seeing this in pretty much every industry where workers are coming out against their toxic, racist, sexist, et cetera, bosses. Uh, You see Instagram accounts popping up all over the restaurant world, calling people out for stuff. So the James Beard Foundation 
was a little concerned about some of their nominees, including Jessica Koslow, who we've talked about here for her controversy and other people. And they were privately calling on these chefs to withdraw their names from the list. Another added intricacy there is it doesn't seem like there was a standard for what they would call people about. So one chef said he got a call being asked to remove himself from the list of nominees, but they did not say what the allegation was against him or how far they went to even vet the allegation. And as someone who runs a publication that publishes stories about allegations against chefs and other people, it's fucking hard. You really have to call around a lot of people and verify stuff before just publishing or bringing repercussions against someone. So I think that's another really important element to this is that kind of like ham-fisted way they were trying to just pull these alleged bad actors off the list. Uh, And then because of those things, because the secrecy was compromised, because of this weird, oh, you should pull yourself off or we're going to pull somebody off. Uh, And then there was another thing, sorry, where the foundation suggested (laughs) maybe they should redo the voting And see if they could get different results with the people pulled off the list, maybe even changing who votes. Usually it's a multi hundred person body of past winners and other like VIP people. They're like, maybe we should just cut out all those past winners and now only the select group of people votes. So like all this craziness. So the panel, the volunteer panel that, helps decide who wins they came out publicly to say the whole thing is in shambles and they've lost their Mm -hmm. credibility forever and now it's this big public drama did i do it right does that all track yeah it's very convoluted but that's that's the way it is and then there's another there's a new twist what's the new well like before we get into this yeah like what's the new twist the new twist is (laughs) They said they were not going to announce any awards, but then actually this past week they did tell the design award winners. So Mm. there are three design award winners that they had won, but that they wouldn't be announced publicly, but that the winners could, if they wanted to uh, tell people. They still get a fucking medallion. And then you get a sick little silver coin. They get the medallion. They get to tell like their friends and followers, but then the foundation said, we're not going to announce this. And then they backtracked and said, actually, we are going to announce it. Please don't tell anybody until Friday. Just design. Yeah, just design. Right. And this brings on a couple major things. I mean, number one, yeah, I understand the impulse to have want to have a diverse slate of winners, because if they're all if their winners were all white, it would have been a disaster for them in a small pocket of the world. Uh, They would have gotten relentlessly attacked. But. Like, this is so much worse. Uh, This discredits the whole thing. And it means that they're like, no matter what, if it does start up again, it's just such an insane tokenization that's going to happen to any winners. No one's going to feel like it's a legitimate win. They, I think like, look, people would have gotten over it. And in some ways, I think like, if you just keep on chugging through whatever is going on in the world, I think you actually establish yourself as, as being a more legitimate award system. So man, I mean, but just to screw it up at, at, at every, they also canceled it for next year. So this year and next year so that they can do a whole 
refresh on how the yeah. whole thing is done. So that in 2022, potentially, if you do and you don't feel like it's bullshit or a tokenization effort. But yeah, the lead up just really screwed the pooch on that. <laughs> we, uh, you know, I think it, it's always easy to be skeptical of awards. I think we've taken a pretty skeptical position in the past. But you've loved this, right? Like, it's fun to watch this just fucking shitstorm of a thing that, like, takes itself seriously. <laughs> I will admit to that, Daniel. Yes, I, I, <laughs> the schadenfreude here is, is very real. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's easy to be on the outside um, mm -hmm. watching this whole thing unfold. Yeah. It, I'm sure, is incredibly difficult to be someone running the foundation or part of the foundation or part of the restaurant committee. Uh, I, I think that it's been a really tough time for them. I don't envy the decisions they had to make at every turn. Uh, and then having to deal with this public fallout of all of the mistakes and grievances being aired. Yeah. I'm trying to put myself in there. Like if I got, if I work for them, I got my hands on the list. I'm like a oh, bunch of whiteies. What do I do? I don't know. I can see the impulse to cancel it. Like I get why they would want to do that. And then, but just like, you just got to go hard and fast and just got to go pure shutdown. We're shutting it down this year. And then don't look back, keep it all under wraps, you know, tie up any loose ends. Yeah. I mean, they could have announced the list, kept the integrity of it and then said, you know what? Because of these results, it shows that we have some flaws here and we want to revisit and we're going to shut it down for the whole of next year, hire in this firm, redo the whole thing. Yeah. But then at least the people who did win get to have their little, you know, boost. Yeah. I think I put personally put some of my best content out this year, which would have been for next award season. So I feel pretty per like personally, this is not how I would have done it. This is definitely an attack on you. Yeah. <laughs> I, my general stance is that awards are good. I think that like, you know, a well thought out award with a fair voting body, obviously that's a Im nearly impossible thing to, uh, to create. But in that case, it's good because I just think it's a net positive. It's just kind of built on a fallacy that be, I think because the voting block is so large, it lends this authority that what they're choosing is actually the best when it's So it's what are we not. just supposed like to rely the, on word of mouth? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> rely on word of mouth. Like at least when, when we try to put stuff together, it, I feel like maybe I, we might fail at this too, but it's clear that it's like, this is one person's point of view, or this is like a handful of editors point of view. The, the issue with the beards is because you have like, mm -hmm the industry voting mm -hmm. and you have these like the system where a select group picks the nominees and then this giant body votes on them it puts out this idea of fairness when really there are so many biases built into every step of it and just the actual voting process is bizarre like it, as a voter you can vote in categories where you have not dined at all the restaurants so how is that even right. fair so the places that tend to win are the places that have publicity or that have that are in cities that are very popular with members of the media or are in cities that have big tourism boards that sponsor food festivals or provide junkets. It's just like so screwed up on so many levels. Yeah. 
I will say as someone that's never done it, the, uh, the idea of going to one of the ceremonies, getting fricking loaded and just like bumping into other people, especially like if you won an award sounds fricking epic. Uh, just as a side note, you've done that a few times. Is it fun? I mean, I know that's not something I know you, you probably don't look for. You're asking the wrong person. Like I stopped going five years ago because I don't really like that kind of stuff, but you would love it. And so many people love it. Yeah. I will say I like going to the media awards. I, I go to the media awards and I enjoy it. Just like it's like every people like don't know who you are. And then you've got a blazer and then you walk into some room and they're like, oh, sir, are you meant to be back here? And then you accidentally open your blazer and your metal just falls out and you're like, Oh, sorry. I'll, I'll leave. And they're like, Oh no, stay, stay. You know, I, I haven't thought about this kind of thing that much, but I'd be wow. okay. Okay. Well, I'm sorry for you that it's fine. A restructuring can only help me. I think, you know, well, and I would argue the media, the media awards are a little more fair because it is a piece of content that every judge can consume. Right. Like I can watch every video or listen to every podcast or read every column that is submitted. Right. Next up, Daniel, I wanted to tell you about a story that I find amusing. It is that General Mills Mm -hmm. is bringing back the 1980s formulas (laughs) for some of their very popular cereal brands, Mm. including Cocoa Puffs and Golden Grahams and Trix. Uh, I imagine to pander to people such as myself who grew up in the 80s eating all this sugar for breakfast. How far have they drifted from that point up to now? I feel like they've probably drifted pretty far. I think they kind of evolve these formulas every few years or so. And also like according to the release, um, golden grams, for example, will again be made with actual honey. Hmm. Cookie crisp and cocoa puffs will have a more quote chocolate taste. Yeah. I think it's dumb, but also I might end up buying some. Absolutely. Because I definitely ate this shit every single day of my childhood. Yeah, this is a one-time purchase. It's very simple. You get all four boxes, line them up against the new shit, and just see how much the world has fallen apart since the 1980s in terms of factory farming and the industrialization of, like, corn syrup. It's also just, like, it's a funny reminder to me how um, parenting has changed. Ah. Like I was, I was allowed to have this pretty much every day. I had Cocoa Puffs every day and I don't know if my kids will, and I'm not even like a hippy dippy healthy parent. No, you're not. It's just like, seems very obvious, obviously not a good breakfast idea. Yeah. Cereal with milk in a bowl was considered, you know, it was very much you'd hear finish your cereal before school. But now to my ears, that's, you know, finish your poison before school. You should be intermittent fasting as soon as six years old. (laughs) I just like when I see this, like I see honey is back for the golden grams. And I don't know. Am I alone in thinking Mm -hmm. honey is back? And that screams to me, where did it go? Right. Why haven't you been using honey? On a similar note, just in terms of, uh, I mean, I don't know what it is in terms of, but I think I think that there has been so much success in, I hate to say like a junk food category, but like cereal, junk food, sodas, pops, et cetera, during pandemic times. Uh, PepsiCo is launching a new drink called Driftwell that is meant to help the consumers kind of chill out 
uh, before getting in bed. What does it have in it? Well, it's a blackberry flavor. It's got 200 milligrams of L-theanine and 10% of your daily um, value of magnesium. Uh, I just, you know what, it is It is funny. Again, I mean, we've talked about this before, but as someone somewhat of a recovering uh, new agey health addict, um, it is funny, like, you can see these things trickle from the obscure blogs into the mainstream through stuff like this. Like I've heard, Mm -hmm. I heard podcasts. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've been listening to stuff about people taking L-theanine, combining it with your coffee to get all the buzz without the jitters for like 12 or 15 years, you know, and magnesium before bed (laughs) is something I've been doing for seven years. I don't actually know what point I'm making here, except that like I've been on this Pepsi and I'm not going to, I also don't like multivitamins because I like to make my own, I, I like, I think you should know what you're taking in a vitamin and, uh, and put it all together yourself. That has nothing to do with this drift well. But um, it's just, it is interesting. You should just become a, a brand consultant. I'd crush. I would crush as a brand consultant. I have had dreams of starting like a very fast moving uh, pro- food product company that just looks five years in advance, makes the thing, gets out, moves on. You know what? I was on charcoal. I was on CBD. I was on the the, the bulletproof cough, fat coffee, MCT oil, keto, gluten free. It's just like I'm looking into a crystal ball. And uh, but you know, I'd rather. I don't want to leave our podcast. Right, right, right. But you know all the useless trends before they become mainstream and then become useless to everyone. How else. useless is it if Pepsi is getting behind it? They want you to drift well, and they know how to do it. How long will drift well be around? How calm will drift well make you feel before bed? Is that what you're wondering? <laughs> yeah, that's what I asked you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> What's happening with oat milk? Oat milk has just had a oat milk's just had a, a huge uh, a huge pandemic. Oat milk, um, Oatly, who <laughs> a huge pandemic. Huge, huge pandemic. It's had a really, really successful pandemic. They've really come out <laughs> swinging, and I've just some 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 interesting data. Do you know that forty one percent of households now buy a vegan milk? No, wow. Ten to eleven percent of that is oat milk, and which is up about three percent, three percent from a year ago. Yeah. Oh, and Oatly. Is it that it's shelf stable? Is that why? Shelf stable. And, and listen, I mean, I think it's just the most delicious milk by far. It's it's very fatty. It's rich. It's just it's more it's so much more unctuous. I mean, I feel like people almond milk is water. You know, it's fine. It's fine. But it's water. And I just think you put like almond milk is going to make your coffee more clear. And oat milk has that beautiful kind of flowering fat explosion when you drip it into an iced coffee. I just think it's a, it's a better, it seems to me a better product. I don't know. But uh, Duncan. But so does milk milk. Yeah, 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 you're right. So does milk milk. But I think that um, we haven't seen sales of milk grow year over year in a long time. And the plant-based milks are growing steadily. So like uh, just even in line with everything we're saying, like milk has been trashed by the new age community for a long time. And it seems like that, um, is getting to the mainstream. So I don't think that milk is going to make any kind of, uh, research is going to have any kind of resurgence to my point about the cereal. And I think I've said this before in the show, like I would not give my kids a glass of milk with dinner and I used to do that. So I feel like there are all kinds of trends that are converging on the same point. Yeah. 
But I guess the point of oat milk is that at some point it becomes not an obscure kind of uh, trendy Williamsburg Greenpoint milk and becomes like, oh, oat milk's a real player. I think at this point, you know, it's coming for almond milk and we'll see what happens in the future. (laughs) So, Daniel, last small item since we're running out of time for today's show. But you know what that means is we've got lots of stuff for next time. Yeah, that's right. Trick or treating is kind of up in the air this year. Los Angeles County canceled trick or treating. San Francisco strongly discourages yeah. Halloween trick or treating. And the CDC came out to say that they do not advise that people have trick or treating or trunk or treating, which is where a bunch of cars get in a parking lot and put candy in their trunks and you go from trunk to trunk. I haven't heard of that. And that creeps Sad. me out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how did Los Angeles County, what, how did they say, how do they cancel trick or treating? Like, are they going to arrest kids trick or treating? I think they're just telling people not to do it. Put them in an unused McDonald's playpen. The health department sent out a press release saying door to door trick or treating is not allowed. (laughs) Fucking try me though. Like, (laughs) 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 try me. Well, the problem with trick or treating is you really do need community involvement. You need the kids. You need the houses that will give the kids the candy. So if there's, you know, not every, if everyone's not on the same page, it falls apart. It becomes a lot less fun. You know, even one, even one dead house in a neighborhood kind of kills the experience a little bit. However, I would say you put a bunch of kids in masks and you can keep them apart. Like, I think there are just common sense ways you can trick or treat. And I really hope New York doesn't cancel it because I will be pretty bummed. Because that's one set of plans that you don't have to come up with yourself. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like they're so little for kids to look forward to right now. So if you can have a thing where they their favorite time of year, they dress up as a character and get to eat candy. Like, don't take that away from them if you don't have to. Yeah, what's next? The CDC cancels birthdays. Come on. Anyway, Daniel. Did I get a laugh there? Did I get a laugh there? It was the, my, Almost. The, the delay in the Zoom. I could, it wasn't Almost. clear. Almost. Uh, Daniel, it was great to see and talk to you again. Welcome back to New York. Uh, maybe someday we'll, we'll do this podcast in the same room. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'll bring candy and pranks. Love it. Thanks, everyone. Thank you to Ashok. See you next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.